Hello, my name is Rory O'Connor and I am President of the International Association for Suicide Prevention. I'm delighted to welcome you to our new podcast series called Reach In, Reach Out. We're hoping to encourage safe conversations around suicide and suicide prevention, and we aim to bring together the different aspects of the work that we do, providing a global perspective, but crucially also sharing stories of hope. A fundamental part of our work is engaging with people with lived and living experience of suicide, either through their own personal experiences of suicidality or through loss and grief. This will be a central strand running through the entire podcast series. Given the sensitive nature of the subject matter, it is vital that we all prioritize our well-being. So please practice self-care. I hope that you find the podcast of interest and we really look forward to hearing what you have to think. Thank you. Welcome to the latest episode of YAST's podcast, Reach In, Reach Out. I'm delighted in this podcast, we're continuing the theme of focusing on decriminalization. I think this is this third episode in which we focus on such an important topic. And today we've got two guests, one from Kenya and one from Australia. And we'll focus initially in talking about the work going on in Kenya, because Kenya is still one of the is one of the 20 countries globally where suicide remains criminalized. Section 226 of the Penal Code in Kenya criminalizes suicide as an offense. And, and it's, the wording is, is any person who attempts to kill himself is guilty of a misdemeanor and is punishable to maybe upwards of two years in prison and or a fine. Now, as we know from the podcast series we've been running, there's been this global movement to decriminalize suicide in countries now where it has been a criminal offense for decades, if not longer. And it's great to see in recent months, a number of countries moving towards decriminalization or indeed have, have legislators that have passed or passed laws or changed the law to decriminalize suicide. And so in this context, then we'll be speaking to Amelda Aching. And Amelda is the Chief Executive Officer of the Parliamentary Caucus on SDGs. And Amelda will introduce herself formally in a second. And, and then we'll also be speaking to our, our second guest, is Dr. Alan Woodward. And Alan is a Policy Director at Lifeline International. And, and Alan will tell, him, tell us a bit of his work as well that Lifeline International have been doing. So Without further ado, welcome Alan and Amelda to our podcast and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Rory. Thank you, Rory. So maybe Amelda, can I start with you? Can you say a bit, I give a very brief who you are. Could you just tell us a little bit about your organisation and, and, and your role? And then I'll, maybe I'll come back to you as well to, tell, to maybe ask you about your experience of mental health and suicide prevention more broadly. But maybe just first kick off and tell us a bit about who you are. Uh, Rory, thank you again. My name is Miss Lorene Imelda Achien. I am a Kenyan, born and raised in Kenya. I'm a trained lawyer and uh, a policy expert, as well as a human rights advocate. I'm currently the chief executive officer to the Kenya Parliamentary Caucus on the SDGs and business. The SDGs are the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. The caucus is actually a registered association in Kenya, and uh, it has a membership of members of parliament from both the National Assembly and the Senate. Our parliament has two houses, so both from the National Assembly 
and Senate are members who are championing SDGs in the association. Now, I uh, run the association alongside a team in the secretariat where I lead the secretariat, but uh, we also have our executive who are our leadership. We have our chairman, vice chairman, uh, secretary and treasurer, and then we have the general members who comprise up to 40 MPs in Kenya. We have a network of uh, members as well in East Africa whom we link with and try and share best practices and learn just what other colleagues are doing in the region in terms of mainstreaming work in the legislative space. So a bit about what the caucus does. The caucus does legislation around SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals and Business. And our aspect of business is social responsive business. They look at issues of oversighting SDGs implementation. They look at uh, issues of representation when it comes to the SDGs agenda. We do advocacy where we campaign on certain issues around SDGs. For instance, now mental health. Uh, we've had a mental health campaign initially, which was called Fungua Roho. It was aiming at destigmatizing the issues around mental health and uh, just asking the community to be friendly and to identify the mental health needs and prioritize them as opposed to the society which we come we come from as Africans where mental health is very stigmatized and looked at from even a perspective of witchcraft and other misconceptions. So we were using political voices because they are in touch with the people and they are their representatives and they are respected as a platform to advocate for better mental health services and to create awareness and destigmatize mental health. We also do issues of partnerships, so bringing together other stakeholders with legislators to work together. You know, SDGs are very broad and uh, they have so many targets. And so for us to achieve the indicators, you cannot work alone as legislators. So we have to work with other stakeholders from the government, from the academia, from the private sector, from the media, from the civil society, from the United Nations themselves who have ownership of the goals, from the development partners, from the embassy and diplomatic missions, youth, women-led organizations, name it. So this is also something which we are passionate about because through that we've been able to attain a lot of things since caucuses are actually organizations who look for their own funding. So we've been able to enjoy support from the partnerships that uh, we've been able to do and a lot of things have been done through those uh, engagements by our members. Okay, that's fantastic. That's a, a great overview there, Amelda. We'll return uh, to the caucuses at work in a second. So, and the sort of specifics of Kenya. Alan, can I just ask you to do the same and give us a, a brief um, introduction of who you are and maybe a bit of what Lifeline International, who they are and what they do? Yeah, so uh, you know, I have been working in the field of suicide prevention and mental, mental health for uh, over 20 years now, both in terms of uh, leading and, and overseeing services and the evaluation and improvement of services, but also as a policy advisor and as a researcher. I've spent a lot of that time in crisis lines, having worked for the Lifeline organisation here in Australia and now more recently um, taking on a role as a policy director for Lifeline International. Uh, so I think most people are aware of, of crisis lines and their related text or online chat services. They provide immediate support for people in high distress and despair. There are estimated to be more than a 1,000 crisis lines around the world. And Lifeline International is one of the larger networks of those uh, crisis line services 
uh, having members in 26 countries, including across the African continent, across Southeast Asia, across the Northern Americas, in the UK, in Northern Ireland, and also across the Pacific uh, area that is a neighbouring area, of course, to Australia and Arathra, New Zealand. I guess the perspective that I bring all the time to my policy work is grounded in my experience with those services. And in fact, my own research interests, I'm investigating the experiences of people in crisis and what they need for support in that critical time. I've also had personal experience working as a volunteer answering phone calls to the crisis line. Uh, And I did that for a couple of years some time ago. And I think that has really shaped my understanding too. So I believe it's a very important element to suicide prevention. It provides support for people in those times of crisis. And, you know, this is one of the issues I think we're now facing worldwide with so many pressures on people that are creating difficulties, you know, climate change impacts, uh, economic shifts, uh, internal conflicts, global uncertainty and the sheer pressures on people around the cost of living. So, you know, we are at a point in our world's history where the need for crisis support, I think, has been never more so than it is now. No, absolutely, Alan. I think we'll return to the issue of crisis lines shortly Mm -hmm. when we have a wider discussion. So thanks for that intro. So thanks for that, Alan, and and we'll return to the issues of the role of crisis lines shortly and the really important role they play in suicide prevention. But Imelda, can I go back to you? It really started this conversation around suicide prevention and criminalisation of all suicide in Kenya. Could you maybe say a little bit about how prevalent suicide is in Kenya and, and from the Kenyan perspective, what the sort of underlying causes of suicide are there? Hello. So, uh, Connor, right now, suicide is amongst the top five leading causes of death, especially for young people aged between 16 and uh, 35 in Kenya. And that is a very bad, bad situation. Coming from a society where uh, in Africa, suicide was very, very rare. In fact, it was one of those uh, taboos. So that is a very, very high and expected uh, cause of death. But then as it is, then a lot of people are starting to realize especially the people who are in decision-making, that there is more and more need to give emphasis on suicide, its prevention and treatment. They are more and more realizing that this is happening because they neglected suicide and treated it as a criminal issue as opposed to treating it as a health issue. And so there is a shift from suicide being viewed as a criminal issue to suicide being viewed as a health issue. And from one of our works that we've been doing, we started the work on mental health under partnerships in the Narcotics and Psychotropic Amendment Act that was looking into issues of drug, drug use and drug uh, addiction treatment and uh, treatment of persons who use drugs, their rights and access. And so from that, then we went ahead to look at the issues of harm reduction Mm-hmm. And I'm happy that uh, through this engagement, I actually got an opportunity to do a fellowship in London, and that was on um, the Africa Drugs and Rights. And that was through organizations, uh, particularly Release, is an organization called Release in the UK, 
and another one called uh, Harm Reduction International. And so from that engagement, I was able to learn a lot in terms of rights for people who use drug and mental health was now one of the aspects. And so when we came back from that, we had some work in progress. So we decided to partner with the, one of the senators who had been trying to push a mental health amendment bill and which had not come through. And so we took her in as one of the champions for health and she joined our SDG caucus and we were able to jointly push and we were able to achieve the mental health amendment bill of 2022. So it's within this mental health amendment bill of 22 where they have now indicated that suicide victims or victims of attempted suicide should be referred to mental uh, to mental health services as opposed to being presented to the criminal justice system. So tell me a bit about, so the 2022 mental health bill, so so is that, so you're saying that it now means that people are more likely to be referred to mental health services rather than criminal services or criminal justice services. But is it a de- is it decriminalisation or is it the first step towards decriminalisation? It is the first step towards decriminalization because the penal code still clearly outlines that suicide is a crime. Attempted suicide is also a crime. And of course, aiding suicide. So the Mental Health Amendment Act has now removed uh, the person who has attempted suicide to be someone who is in need of medical treatment as opposed to uh, criminal justice system. And this, of course, is in line actually with uh, what we have in Kenya, whereby ideally when someone is arrested and before they are taken to court, they have to be assessed. They have to pass the test of whether they are in a right state of mind mentally to stand trial. And most of the people who have serious mental health issues would then not pass the test. And there are instances where maybe victims of attempted suicide would would pass or not pass the test. So already in practice, there's a little bit of consideration to the extent of which someone is affected mentally. But there are other other loopholes which have not been explored. So with this, it is a start. Because even if we say we are decriminalizing, then the court system would still have to understand what is the alternative when you decriminalize, you must come up with another strategy to address the issue, but not just decriminalize it and leave it hanging. So then what would be seeking at uh, enhancing is now coming up with a complete uh, suicide decriminalization bill, which is already in parliament, but it has not been tabled. We are looking forward to the day when it shall be tabled, and then we'll be able to look at how the bill has been drafted and how we can give further input into it, just to ensure that we have uh, mechanisms and programs for preventing suicide and supportive measures to prevent and reduce the occurrences and then reoccurrences of suicide. Because, you know, it's it, it's always like an issue that can relapse when someone tries to have themselves die by suicide. So that is that. It has also tried to bring some dignity within the the language that we use to address persons with uh, mental health illnesses. So that has been in practice already. And uh, our Ministry of Health has taken up so many programs. They've rolled out documents. For instance, today we were rolling out uh, the guidelines 
for mental health at the workplace. And it was launched today by the Ministry of Health and at a mental health national hospital. In fact, it's called the Madari National Hospital, which is our mental health national referral. And now it will be the regional referral hospital for mental health. So that is a good uh, progress. We have a mental health uh, prevention strategy, a mental health strategy from 2020 up to 2025. Okay. From 2020, yes, up to 2025. And so I think there's a lot that the ministry is really trying to do and parliamentarians will be coming in big time to look at some of this. We'll still be working on the harm reduction bill alongside now the suicide prevention amendment bill. Yeah. So so just come in there, Yes. Uh, We'll bring Alan back in in a second. But on the, the next steps, so I'm trying to get some sense of when do you think you'll be in a position to put forward like the further legislation or the government is in a position to put forward further legislation which would lead to decriminalization? Have you any sense of how long that might take and what steps are still required? Yes, I believe within the next two months, they would have done with the scrutiny of the legislative proposal because for now it's not yet, it's not been tabled, so it's not really a bill. It's still going through the scrutinies. But once the parliament uh, legal department is done with the scrutiny, then it shall be tabled and that should be within the next two months. Once it's tabled, uh, of course, it will be done the first reading where people will understand what the bill is about and what it aims to achieve. And then people will now be given a chance to give their legislative proposals and amendments. And that is where the public participation comes in. And that is where all the stakeholders can have a chance to input it at the public participation stage. After that, it will go back to Parliament where it will be there for a second reading. And then that is when members will then have a chance to debate it. And after that, then it goes to the committee of the whole house. It's further now passed from stage to stage, from section to section. People debate and vote for it. And if that is then done, you know, we have we have now the, the bill proceeding to be assented by the president. Great. Fantastic. Okay, well, well, well what, what's the whole the- process can take between one to two years. It can take less than that, maybe six months, depending on the good political will. And so we are looking at really prioritizing it. Already there are proposals. We have a section of, uh, of people who are advocates for mental health who have written a petition to parliament in regards to decriminalization of suicide, they've written a petition already to Parliament. So there are many different initiatives. There's a, a group who are also looking at the the court system, just having the court declare that section unconstitutional, Brilliant. the section that talks about uh, suicide as a crime. So I think those are three, three different avenues and uh, initiatives that are all going, but we are all in communication and I think if all of them go through, then, you know, we'll actually be able to entirely eliminate suicide as an offence in Kenya. Fantastic. And we'll, watch, we'll definitely watch this space over the next months and, and years ahead. Can I return maybe to, to Alan? And so so Melda's given us a context, Alan, in Kenya. And, and Lifeline International, obviously, have been doing a lot of work 
in recent months in particular around decriminalization and campaigning for decriminalization on the international stage. So maybe could you tell the listeners just a bit about the work that Lifeline International has been doing? I know in October, um, obviously there's a bit of a launch event happening. So would you maybe just help us out with that, Alan? Yes, certainly, Rory. So Lifeline International is about to, as you suggest, um, launch a global campaign for the decriminalisation of suicide. And our interest in changing the laws in all countries around the world is partly reflected from our own members' experience because we have members operating crisis lines in several countries where there are laws that criminalise suicide. And we then have the experience of those members of the difficulties that 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 uh, creates in uh, in appealing to people to come and call a crisis line or a chat or text service and to talk about the distress and despair that they're experiencing. Uh, where those laws exist, they become fundamental barriers to people making those disclosures. And sometimes they have very real effects on a person who may be seen by police officers or present at a hospital indicating their suicidal intentions or, in fact, maybe having taken steps to end their life. And rather than receiving support and care, they find themselves on the receiving end of of a law that could punish them with a fine or a jail sentence. So... It's really born out of the experience of our own members in countries and our strong desire to simply extend the offer of support to people who are going through crisis. That is our our reason for existence in the crisis line world. So we regard the laws that criminalise suicide as foundational barriers to the extension of that offer of help, and we're very keen to support all the efforts around the globe uh, as much as we can for those laws to be um, changed. No, really impressive, important work, Alan. So in in terms of the this campaign then, so I know I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I talked about um, the 20 countries in which suicide is a criminal offence, but I know that, that Lifeline International look more broadly than that. And you've, I think you often talk about 40 countries, and that includes those countries where suicide is forbidden by Sharia law as well as smaller countries which aren't included in the sort of some of the World Health Organization statistics. So are you working in terms of your campaigning? So what's the aim of the campaign? Is the, who's the campaign aimed at? Is it at policymakers? Is it at people on the ground? And how will that work in different countries in the world? Yeah, well, I think we have to work with people in all different walks of life, including uh, those who are in governments, policy advisors, experts, health workers, and so on. But the crisis lines have traditionally been very community-based and remain so. Uh, That is, they attract people in communities who are interested in providing support to others. The crisis lines are not providing a clinical or treatment service. They're providing a support service. And many of the crisis lines around the world include volunteer action. So we have that link with communities and our campaign for the decriminalisation of suicide will reflect that that link we have. In other words, we want to appeal to people from all walks of life to come and join the campaign in whichever way they can. We want to support community-based movements and, and action in countries to advocate for the decriminalisation of suicide where those laws exist or to provide supports where the countries already have uh, the decriminalisation of laws, 
but perhaps can give you know examples or resources or insights to lend uh, to, to others and that's one of the strengths we see as a global network that we can create that exchange of insight and knowledge and we'll be doing that through digital means I mean uh, again reflecting you know the strengths that we bring as crisis lines we deliver service by telephone online and text and digital technologies so our campaign is also going to use those technologies to link people together to share resources and insights tools and 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 information that can be used to support the work that's occurring in countries so we see ourselves as very much being an organization that is in a place where we can support a movement for change but we also see ourselves as an organization that can offer a very practical alternative to the laws and that is we're very keen to work with the crisis lines in every country whether they be associated with lifeline international or not to actively promote the use of crisis lines in those countries and to provide that as a very practical alternative to laws that punish people and to say a very workable alternative is to encourage those people in distress you know to seek help through a crisis line yeah and, and so i'll come back to you amelda in a second but just to finish this this bit off alan so so thinking of that role of the crisis lines in 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 countries where suicide is currently criminalized so is your aspiration or hope or your offer that that you you can work in partnership with those countries if in countries with which may or may not have an existing crisis line Absolutely. I, I guess you know, we have a very um, bold and audacious goal that uh, every person anywhere in the world will be able to access a crisis support service when they wish. And we're providing those services in many countries, and we know there are others through other networks such as Befrienders Worldwide or the uh, European groups and, and some some separate to that. But that's our, our vision as a world where nobody is ever left alone without the offer of support and it being available. And uh, yes, one of the things we see in the campaign to do is to, at the same time, be seeking to enhance the existing crisis lines and promote them more in the countries. But where crisis lines don't exist, yes, we believe we have something to offer because we know how to do crisis lines. Um, and we can put people in touch with others who know how to do crisis lines and create crisis lines where they may not already exist. Thanks for that, Alan. We'll just bring it back now to, to Amelda. Amelda, I'm just curious. So Alan's talking about, obviously, the important role of crisis lines and suicide prevention. So does Kenya have a crisis line? Yes, Kenya has helplines where you can actually call and get counselling online without uh, being charged. And how, how, what is, is that available to anybody in, in, in crisis? It is available to anybody. It is available to anybody, and it's a 24-hour toll-free line where you call, but that is if you're within the country, then it will go through. And and in terms of the sort of the reach and this aspiration, Alan touched, touched on, it seems that in Kenya then that the helpline is available, but is there are there barriers to accessing it? Are people less likely to access the helpline because, for example, suicidality is criminalized? No, not really. In real sense, Professor, in Kenya, nobody has actually been uh, sentenced for attempting suicide. In real sense. Okay, so so Amelda, just so you were saying there that that the 
crisis helpline is freely available. It's toll free. So um, access to help is available. And have I understood what you said, that there is no, in terms of the criminalization, that hasn't or doesn't seem to have had an impact on people's likelihood of accessing care. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And so then when you look ahead to if you do decriminalize further or when the decriminalization happens, so what yes. do you think the impact will be more broadly then? So if it's not going to, if it's not stopping people accessing crisis support, like is it currently stopping people accessing face-to-face support or any other help? Well, for uh, the case of attempted suicide being a, a crime, so far so good. There is a lot of, you know, pers- uh, perspectives. There is actually now a new aspect of online bullying, which is emerging. There is so much hate online, and people are actually even encouraging and promoting people to die by suicide. So some of the things that actually would even deter people from seeking this help is not even the legislation, but it is the community itself. So there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of awareness and advocacy. You can even see that some of the people who come up with such statements are maybe even people in high positions, you know, leaders. And so I think there's still that lack of sensitivity towards the issue. And so I wouldn't really cite the law as a deterrence for seeking the help, but it is the community themselves who are driving this either in person or through the social media platforms. And uh, ideally, you know, whenever some, someone mentions, for instance, that I'm going to particularly, let's say, Madari Hospital, which is known for mental health. It's Madari Mental Health Referral Hospital. It then becomes an issue and people start to say that you're mad. Like that person is insane. The moment you mention that uh, you're going to see a counselor or a psychiatrist, then people will just ask you immediately, oh, so you're going crazy or Mm. you're depressed. What is the issue? People just start to talk behind your back. And so this really deters people because then they start to even say that your sentiments are not really statements that have been said in your conscious mind. They start to dismiss your position on any important issue and use that information that they know about you, that you're seeking psychological or psychosocial support as a tool against you. So people really would not want the community. So some of the issues maybe would be that fear of the backlash in the society. And this has also really affected people in higher positions because then the people would really easily identify them when they're in public. And so they even try to get services in private access route that is very private when they're going to seek psychosocial and psychological support. And that should not be the case. Mental health is just a health issue like any other health issue. Mental health should be treated as any health priority And every person has the responsibility to look at the issue of mental health from an individual level and uh, from a society level. And just just one one last question on that, and then a quick question for Alan, and then we'll start to sort of wrapping up. So have you got a sense that the stigma associated with mental health and suicide is getting worse in Kenya or getting better? Right now, it is getting better. The stigma is getting better, but now the promotion is getting worse. 
So what, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? About the promotion getting worse? So this is the essence. Like people are more like aware that and are more of the idea that if someone say tries to die by suicide then they should not be arrested. They, instead, they should be taken to a mental health facility or they should seek psychosocial or psychological support. But then in the same instance, then the same people would go on social media and actually tell someone, go and kill yourself. Can you, you better just look for a rope. The people around your area should cut the trees because, you know, you're going to hang yourself. Like, you're going to fail so much, you're going to wish you had just looked for the nearest tree and hung yourself. So people are really trolling people with verbs that are targeting suicide. Mm -hmm. So most of the issue right now is that driver of suicide. You know, people can actually just say, kill yourself, who cares? Like, at, at least one person down the economy, the government is suffering. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, such statements. So people are less and less more of promoting suicide right now rather than okay. stigmatizing you for suicide and that's now a challenge and i think that is a missing link which has not been really properly looked at and, and addressed yes i mean that's highlighted such an important issue as you say that if there's in essence two things going on in parallel yeah so the the, the promotion you've got obviously the stigma is decreasing for mental health but the promotion of suicide is increasing and i suppose that really highlights yes. the complexity and we're trying to tackle these issues. So, Alan, can maybe just go back to you, and then we've got a couple of wrap-up questions. So, mm -hmm. Alan, you started off with this aspiration of a world where everybody can seek help. So what is what is Lifeline's five-year, 10-year plan, Lifeline International's five- or 10-year plan or aspiration? What, where, where do you think you'll have got to, say, in 10 years? Well, we certainly want to continue with the work that's already underway and strengthen that. So, you know, we have got 26 members and we want to support them so the crisis lines can answer more people and their high-quality services. And we would like to show the number of crisis lines around the world. So, you know, we're doing that right now, for example, in Ghana, which has recently, as many know, decriminalised suicide. Yeah. We are working with people in Ghana to establish a um, an in-country crisis line. I think the other thing that's worth mentioning, and again, it comes back to our, our community roots, we also want to support communities as much as we can, not only in the provision of service, but also in conversations that can occur around, you know, a contemporary and a, and a, and a proper understanding of the factors that lead to a person wanting to end their life. Because this is one of the barriers that the laws um, create. If the law is there, the conversations are less able to occur and yet the messages that propagate myths or misunderstandings around suicide can exist with those laws without them being challenged easily. And that's one of the things that we've seen in the world of crisis lines is, yeah, we, we can operate a crisis line even though the laws might exist. In fact, you know, in Australia, when the crisis line uh, was established by Lifeline in 1963, suicide was still a crime in Australia. But we feel we can do a, a much greater effort in promoting the offer of help if the community is able to have conversations and understandings that a person who's in deep despair or experiencing a you know, high, high level of distress mm -hmm. is, is not a danger, not somebody to discriminate against not somebody to have a view that they're somehow, you know, 
committing a crime. Mm-hmm. They're a person who deserves sympathy, empathy, understanding, and an offer of support. And you can build that attitude in communities. A crisis line is one way of doing that because often people connect with a crisis line and maybe volunteer their time or fundraise for them. We are civil society organisations committed to the cause of the prevention of suicide. Mm -hmm. So the service aspect is one dimension, but the building of what we might call caring communities is another aspect of our work. Mm -hmm. So part of, I guess, the long-term vision for Lifeline International is to work with caring communities wherever they exist, Mm -hmm. in part to campaign for the decriminalisation of suicide, but also to support those communities in having conversations and promoting a world which views suicide as human suffering, Mm -hmm. as a health issue, not a law and justice issue, that views the prevention of suicide as an achievable goal in every community and bringing the efforts of people forward to create that goal as a reality. Yeah, I mean, so well put, Alan, and indeed it changed very nicely with what Imelda was saying about if we can promote the sort of healthy communities aspect, that will in part tackle that challenge that Imelda mentioned, or you mentioned Imelda about the promoting of suicide as an option rather than as suicide, we're trying to promote suicide prevention rather than suicide. Okay, on that note, thanks so much, both of you. Just one last question. We try and tie it up with sort of an unrelated question, and then I'll do some closing remarks. But So we've been talking about pretty heavy stuff here with obviously suicide prevention and decriminalization. But I was saying it's time we've been looking to the future and what we can achieve in the next five to ten years. But maybe I would like to ask each of you, and I'll start with you, Imelda, um, if, we can, if you can reflect backwards and say to yourself, well, actually, what advice would you give your 16-year-old self? This has nothing to do with suicide prevention. It's just about sort of lessons you've learned in life. So what advice would you give your 16-year-old self? Looking back, I would tell my 16-year-old self to take it easy and take it slow. <laughs> great, great advice. I like that. I like that. Alan, same question for you. What advice would you give your 16-year-old self? <laughs> a long time ago unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) you know i I grew up in a in a steel city which was uh, you know not a particularly wealthy area and when i look back what i would tell my 16 year old self growing up in that environment where you know there was plenty of struggles for for all of us and i think that is to approach life in a way where you're not afraid and not resistant to seeking support and the guidance of others. You know, that there are times in life where you do find yourself unable to cope with whatever's been thrown at you, and that is, you know, a a very common experience. It's not a bad thing, but it can become a really bad thing if you try and just deal with it all by yourself so it elevates and elevates until things really go bad. So I think I'd say to my 16-year-old self, Keep looking around to see who might be able to guide you, what resources are there, who are the people that support you in your life journey and use them. Yeah, no, a brilliant, a brilliant piece of advice as well. And I think it's just interesting. Everybody comes up with something different. I think that's what's really, I think, noteworthy with asking that question. And, and again, two real great nuggets of advice. 
So on that note, then, on behalf of, of YASP, huge thanks to everything that you both do and individually and as organizations. And I think what's really struck me is it is an optimistic note is that we are moving forward and and there's great strides being made, made in Kenya and also the work that Lifeline International is doing and the, the exciting, important campaign, which will, which will be launched next month in October about this global campaign to decriminalize suicide. And, and then that other message, Alan, you mentioned about really we live in a world, our, all of our aspirations should be, we live in a world that anybody in distress can get the help that they need when they need it. So on that note, thanks so much and, and have, um, have a great afternoon, evening or morning, wherever you are listening to this. Thank you.